Welcome to the Paragraphing Podcast, a story told one paragraph at a time. I'm your host, Brendan Steidel, joined by my co-host and brother, Jamie Steidel. Each day, Jamie and I take turns writing a new paragraph of the story. Each week on the podcast, we read the latest paragraphs and then discuss the writing process, where the story has gone, and where it might go next. This is episode four, and I'm joined here by Jamie. Hello. Yep, there we go. And um, we are going to pick up where we last left off. And uh, where we last left off, do you remember where we were, Jamie? It is uh, on March 14th. We have some. We have to do something. Yes, indeed. And um, just to bring people up to speed on where the story was, um, essentially they were kind of going back and forth, and uh, Chevron realized that uh, he could be heard. His his mind could be read, right? Yes, his mind could be read, and everybody can hear his thoughts. Yeah, and f- everybody could hear each other's thoughts. Yeah, exactly. And actually, I think I think I'm wrong about where we are. Um, we're we're actually on we're actually on March 20th. I don't know why they weren't listening. That's what I thought. I, I, when you said that, I scrolled down and I was like, "This is way more <laughs> than six. Because okay, I don't know why they weren't listening. Another one that's written by me, so yep. I get to go first. Absolutely. So go ahead. All right, start <clears throat> reading. I don't know why they weren't listening. Kelvin and Chevron. They never seemed very good at listening at all. It was their fault that we got into this mess. They hadn't paid attention. Paying attention is the sort of thing you should do when you have no idea what's going on. They are always oblivious. That's their fault. Kelvin glared at me. I can hear you, you know, don't you? He said, mincing words, mixing them up like he was making a stew with poor grammar. He continued, if you're going to start taking the narrative, you've got to get things right. Kelvin fell flat on his face. That's a lie, Chevron said. He didn't fall anywhere. Now you're taking creative license. Chevron tripped over his words like he tripped over that log. I never tripped over a log, Chevron said. You're playing woof with the narrative now. Fine, I said. That never happened. But still, gotta say, taking creative license is fun. Probably why the ambassador loves flipping people with titanium levitation control. So on a serious note... How can we understand each other's thoughts? Kelvin scratched his chin methodically. Chevron scratched his bald scalp. I don't know, they said. Maybe we should follow our pursuer and find out. I agree, I said. It was a good idea when I thought it up. And we followed the pursuer this time for sure. Meanwhile, while Macy, Chevron, and Kelvin were meaning to pursue the pursuer, while the ambassador was being purloined and the actor ants were acting chicken-like, nobody and I mean nobody, was minding the chickens. I wasn't minding the chickens either, which is how, completely by accident, I accidentally appointed one to be interim ambassador to Zoic. It happened like this. 227 seconds ago, there was a tremendous splash. The splash was so tremendous it caught the attention of the Tremendous Tremor Transponders, or TTTs, as our populace so affectionately calls them. These TTTs, I should tell you, are psychoelectric detectors, about the size of half a pineapple, and shaped like one too. They sit all across the countryside, awaiting the telltale signs of a tremendous titanium levitation event, like the splash of a shallow river lifted out of its riverbed and then crashed back down again. When a TTT detects a tremendous sound like that, it wires a message to the Tremendous Tremor Transponder Transmission Tower, or TTTTT, as our populace not so affectionately calls it. Those signals are routed directly to the TTT-TTT pursuer pipeline patent pending, which sends out a TTT-TTT-PPPP licensed locate and limit list to every licensed pursuer in the area. Their mission? To locate the source of heretofore said tremendous activities and limit their future activation. That is to say, stop Macy, Chevron, Kelvin, and the Ambassador in their tracks by issuing an official TTT-TT-PPPP-LLLL warning which usually came in the form of a form, pad-sized, in triplicate, of course. Except, except for the TTTTTTPPPPLLLLL form-filling strike. Absolutely no pursuer within a thousand miles will pursue tremendous sounds of any kind, or, I should correct myself, any pursuer will pursue, but she or he roundly refuses to confront the perpetrator with a filled-out form. What's a pursuit without a filled-out form? Well, I'll tell you. Not any pursuit I would pursue in Linsalem. 
Hence the need for me to step out from behind the narrative arc, as it were, a truer arc than any seen since Mount Ararat, step out and step into the customary pursuer garb, the garbled jacket, bowler hat, beard, and brown boots, to become again a pursuer in pursuit of a cause, until, well, until I accidentally appointed Selina Veronica West interim ambassador to Zoic. In my defense, she was far more intelligent than the current ambassador, and could hold even better conversation, at least once you'd loosened the molecules a bit and freed thoughts from words and words from thoughts. Selina Veronica West said to me, and I'll never forget it, You have to understand, the ambassador is okay, the pursuer said. Who are you? I asked. Chevron, Macy began turning to me. It's the, yes, I'm Chevron, I said cheerily. He's the man we are supposed to follow, the man who is pursuing us, Macy said. I don't like the look of him, Calvin said. Why's that? Macy asked, suddenly becoming defensive. It's his mustache, Calvin said. What's wrong with his mustache? Macy asked. I'll tell you what's wrong with it, Calvin said, and he reached out and locked his fingers onto the mustache. Unhand me, you buffoon, the pursuer protested, and Calvin ripped off the mustache, revealing the ambassador under it. As I said, the ambassador said, you have to understand, I am okay. And the chicken squawked under his arm as he began to explain how he had fooled us with his escape and how titanium levitation could transform inner thoughts outwardly and mess with the narrative of everyday life. Selina Veronica West spoke again, this time with a higher-pitched squawk which translated into all of us suddenly being flung upwards into the air, including the ambassador. Something is wrong with titanium levitation, the ambassador said. It must be sick. This is dangerous, I said as we soared deeper into the forest. I hate flying, Kelvin said. I hate falling, Macy said. Squawk, Selina Veronica West said. It was now well past noon, probably twelve or fifteen minutes past it, and though we, we being Macy and me, me being Calvin FCL, secret attaché to Linsalem, she being Macy M. Masterson, master-at-arms of all of Mapleton, though we had scored a success in locating the ambassador, we had, in that very success, succeeded at losing ourselves. In fact, we were becoming ever more lost as we soared ever so deep into the willowing forest of delights. Dessert, Chevron corrected, a few puffs in front of me. My thoughts exactly, I exclaimed, stomach a grumble. If not dessert, at least something to hold us over as we were held over these sweet-scented trees. Your thoughts exactly? Chevron asked. I I can still hear your thoughts. Oh no, I said. I don't think I was thinking of dessert until you said something. "'Of course you weren't thinking of dessert,' the ambassador declared. "'Who could think of dessert at a time like this? "'We haven't sat for lunch yet.' "'Yet?' Macy mocked, hovering in the air over the ambassador's left shoulder. "'Yet? You couldn't sit if you wanted to.' "'Well, I don't want to,' the ambassador said. "'A man of mania, sure, but a man of my own spirit.' "'I'll tell you what I want,' I started. "'Lunch,' Macy guessed, "'and it doesn't take a mind-reader to read that.' No, it does not, Chevron said, but to guess the right lunch, the right dessert, takes time-tested taste-testing. The ambassador huffed at this professional self-profession, and I huffed right back at him. Let Chevron take pride in his work, at least it worked, unlike titanium levitation. I had had it up to here with huffing and puffing of all kinds, and here was getting higher and higher up by the minute. Thirty, forty, fifty-five feet over the treetops, I leveled a claim. Too bad you magicianed those perfectly good boiled eggs into perfectly spoiled chicken ants, I said. Who knows how long we'll be up here now? Maybe straight through the sweetest hours of the afternoon. Maybe all the way to dinner. The horror was too much to contemplate. I regretted even bringing it up. Believe me, the ambassador said, in most of this place you'd much rather be up here than down there. He gestured then at the small crop of houses we swooped over, little boxy numbers hugging the hills for dear life, and there wasn't much life in them. "'Is that right?' Macy asked. I didn't like the way she asked it, and I liked it less when I saw the ambassador drop out of the sky. Then Chevron, then Macy, then I. The houses that hugged the hill didn't hug us back. We landed on the houses like unwelcome guests. I hit an old thatched roof that hit me back with almost equal force, and I landed on to another roof, and then I was in the air again and continued my slow and painful descent till there were no more roofs to bounce me. So the ground met me instead. The earth seemed to rise up and it took a swat at me. I tumbled and landed on my back. 
I stared up at the air, which was filled with my troop, who decided to land a little later than me. They landed on me, first the ambassador, then Chevron, then Macy. The air was sucked out of me as they all piled on. Each stood, dusted themselves off, and looked confusedly around. I stood, realigned my spine, and looked at whatever it was they had locked eyes on. A restaurant, I said with glee. Pepper and brine, the ambassador said. That isn't good. Why is that, I asked. Because pepper and brine are not what you think. You mean they only serve breakfast? No, Chevron said. They only serve the dead. Which means, Macy's began, they have a lunch special, I said. And I wasn't wrong. There it was right there on the sign. Lunch specials. Wear corpse blue, get three for the price of two. Buy three, get life free. Buy four, dine on Styx's shore. Oh, I would so enjoy a shoreline view. Wouldn't that be delightful? I asked. Very much, Chevron said, salivating. Macy and the ambassador had a look of, well, a lifeless look, if I do say so myself, all color drawn out of them, drawn out and put where, I don't know, in a puddle on the floor, probably. Well, let the mops look lifeless. Chevron and I could appreciate the finer tastes in life, like the taste for, um, taste. Without so much as a word from Macy and the ambassador, Chevron and I popped into the establishment and were greeted by a dark-haired gent in a gentle, flowing costume, all shadows and folds. Two for lunch, I said, but do tell us what we would need to do in order to get the shoreline view. After the day we've had, nothing could be more philosophic. The greeter nodded quite approvingly, I'd say, and led us straight back. Impressive, I considered, this ability to serve as a greeter without so much as a verbal greeting or a verbal affirmation, without even a verb. But that's the way with some professionals of the service class. They serve so smooth it's practically otherworldly. Supernatural, you might call it without the heebie-jeebie part. Cold in here, Chevron observed, and he was right. The dark of the place penetrated to the fingers and toes like the cold glass of a window pane in December, with the sleet sleeting down. Would you happen to, I started, and before I could finish, the greeter had handed us two heavy coats, flowing numbers just like him. Another win for first-class service. I took the fabric with pride. Now, I'm quick to admit that it wasn't my preferred style, but style takes second fiddle when there's a cold concertmaster conducting the thermostat. Chevron heaved his way into the fabric, and I did the same. And the moment we did, the creaky-looking dining room fell away, and the two of us found ourselves creaking and crooking across a deck in some misty backwoods place. It was a wooden platform of sorts, leading into the mist, and, I hoped, out of it. I looked behind to see if there was continuity between where we had walked and where we were walking, but when I did, all I saw was more mist. I wondered then about the circulation in the place, and decided that they must be having a hell of a time with the air conditioning. Hell of a time with the air, I said to our host in a jovial, forgiving fashion. He shrugged in that embarrassed sort of way that all employees must when their employer decks the place in dilapidated appliances. It's not your fault, I know, I said to him. Or, I thought it was a him. I looked more closely and couldn't tell, I tell you. And wasn't it rotten? There's the patrician brain for you, Macy might say, and she'd be right, to think every anonymous person is a man, and even some not-so-anonymous ones. No wonder women feel such animus. Do you have anything less? Chevron motioned to the mist. Muggy? At this, the greeter made a movement with his arm, and the fog receded. Even more impressive stuff. If only Macy and the ambassador could see how wrong they were about the place. Beneath the mist was water, dark water, it looked black in this light, maybe fed by a swamp or some other briny pool. Ah, the name of the place, Pepper and Brine. Now it made sense. And if there was brine, there was pepper. As the greeter helped us onto a very comfortable-looking little boat, a sea cab to get us to dining on the other side of the river, I made a quick inquiry on the pepper situation, and received in return a journey that I don't think either of us will ever forget. It started, thank goodness, as all answers ought to start, with an appetizer. All right, we made it. We made it through. That was a very it difficult took, one. Literally, since I pressed record, minutes. yeah, 27 minutes. Yeah. Now, of course, we're going to edit a lot of that out, but that, that was a difficult one to, to read. That was difficult, yeah. We learned that uh, some things written cannot be read out loud unless you have, I don't know, a cast of yeah, people if you to had play a, them if, for you. If you had a cast which was like one person as the narrator and one person as the, 
you know, each character, maybe you could do it. But the problem is, and yeah, maybe that would have helped it because we would have heard that this, this character's voice is suddenly now the narrator. Because that's what happened in this section is we had, because, because I had established in the previous one that they could read each other's thoughts, um, Jamie took the extra step, as we had mentioned on the podcast earlier. Yeah, we did. Yeah, the extra. I had the idea of a little, 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 little before that. Yeah. But I was like, oh, I might as well. I wasn't sure if I was going to do it yet, but I was like, okay, I'll just change the narrator. Right. And uh, it got very confusing at that point. I thought I made it clear, uh, but the problem with writing is you don't know if it's clear until somebody else reads it and says, "What is this? This isn't very clear." Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, and the hard part is, uh, you know not knowing who is speaking and and assuming maybe it was the last one and then suddenly it's not and then suddenly it is again um you know if, if we just if we just help helped people a little bit with a little note you know this is macy talking this is chevron talking this is kelvin once again talking could have made a difference yeah exactly makes it a lot easier to do that well and essentially what we had to do with the audience um, you know might not know or might know depending on how you edit it um is we had to literally edit the text um to yeah, make it the text more is different readable. you can you can see the differences uh, if you listen to the first part that we read and then go to our website and our mrsdesigns.com slash paragraphing blog. So now you, you took it in a, in a bit of a different direction than, than I had originally assumed, because my thought was that they could just read each other's thoughts, but you kind of took it as the, they're kind of taking control of the narrative. And literally he says here in this first one we read today, if you're going to start taking the narrative, you've got to get things right. So they kind of have a consciousness that there's a story being told here. Yeah, I wouldn't necessarily, I was thinking when I wrote that, I wouldn't necessarily call that breaking the fourth wall per se. I think that there is a consciousness that they, that there is a narrative, but they may be referring to just the way they're all consciously thinking about what is ha- currently happening to them. Mm, I don't and know. I feel like you're weaseling out of it teasing that. You think so? I think so. I, mean, I think that's very clear that you're, you're breaking the fourth wall there or the third wall or the second wall, one of them, you know. Yeah, one of the walls. I don't know. I don't know. Why does it have to be the fourth wall? And why can't it be a ceiling or a, a closet? Why don't they just don't say know. breaking the wall? Oh, it's because it's it's theater. It's like a theater, yeah. But in, in a yeah, theater, okay. there... It took me a second. I don't know that. In the theater, you have the... Yeah, you don't really right. have a wall that's there. That's right. Because then, then you wouldn't have people sitting there. Right, but I suppose the idea is that if if if, if the character breaks the wall, they can suddenly see He's the audience to the there. audience, yeah. And they're like, whoa, who are all these people here? And why are they yeah, in my living room? Wait a second. <laughs> this isn't real. This isn't my life. I always wondered why there was nothing on that wall in our house. It was just blank. <laughs> wondered why the food was plastic. <laughs> Actually, you know, I was at a play once. It was in a, at a theater in the round in Washington, D.C., and they there was like a scene in breakfast, and they were actually making eggs, real real eggs and bacon right there. And boy, did it smell good. That's 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 really interesting. Yeah, I guess that's a good way to draw the audience in. Yeah, you know, you want some. It'd be of interesting. Eggs. They started serving it. it suddenly became a restaurant. <laughs> <laughs> what happened to just, the play? Whatever. Let's let's, uh, let's eat. <laughs> just the fourth wall. Yeah, I guess I guess I broke that. Didn't make people breakfast, but we are bringing them to lunch. Mm-hmm. Now, so so we have this, um, and essentially there was there was a lot of important development here. Um, in this section because we had a recognition of who this pursuer was. It turns out the pursuer is, in fact, the ambassador. Yeah, that that was not intentional. It just sort of happened that way. Mm -hmm. He just sort of stumbled into it, and I felt like uh, I needed to bring the ambassador back in at some point. Mm -hmm. Uh, He was was missing for a while. Yeah, yeah, he had been missing. And we had this... um, we had this very odd section where we got a little bit more background on the pursuer because we we went from Macy's perspective to suddenly the perspective of the pursuer, which it turns out is the ambassador. Um, and, and we got a little more information on kind of the world that I, I kind of filled in here with all these acronyms. Yes, all the TTTPs. Can you talk about that? What made you think of that? I thought that was hilarious and yeah, well, well, the thoughts is with this T T T T T P P P P L L L L warning. I I just wanted to see how how far I could take it because the idea is 
you know, these, this guy, this ambassador, there's a government here, right? And this government is rather autocratic, it seems. And it's, you know, it's had the power to um, create this titanium levitation that, you know, kicks people out of where they don't want them to be. And, you know, they have the power to get rid of all the chickens on earth, except these random 15 or 14 that, that appeared here through magic and other means. Um, and so clearly they're a government and what do governments love? But well, they love acronyms and they love process. And so I kind of wanted to present it, you know, sometimes there's a tendency when there's a big scary government or a big scary character to, um, assume that they are just terrifying and they're just this giant, like the giant evil dark eye that you see in, uh, you know, right. Isn't that Sauron? That's the name of it in, uh, yeah, Lord of the Rings? in the, yeah, right. Lord of the Rings. Um, or, or like the, um, uh, in, uh, what's the name of the, uh, the Wizard of Oz, right? The witch, right? And and all of her uh, and all of her creepy. You mean the wizard, Brennan? Oh no, no. What is his name? No, well, yeah, the, the, witch, the wizard yes. and the witch, right? With all these creepy, creepy um, uh, flying monkeys, right? Yeah. Um, what I'm trying to get there is there's there's a tendency to assume that evil is perfect at what it does, and I like this idea that they have to deal with stupid little things like acronyms and processes and you know, strikes that, that different employees might go on, like the form filling strike. Um, and there's, there's just a little more bureaucracy to this, uh, to this organization than we might assume. And that very, uh, Douglas Adams, like, especially <laughs> the triplicate part. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Pad size and triplicate. <laughs> yeah, exactly. What, what line is that in Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy talking about the infamous, no, talking about the, uh, Vogons, the entry of the Vogons. Oh, yes. And, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy and how they're so obsessed with bureaucracy that they would never even save their grandmother from the ravenous bug bladder beast of Troll unless they have orders signed in triplicates and like re-signed, refiled, and then lost in like a cabinet for six months and then finally recycled and buried as a firelighter or whatever, some weird term like that. <laughs> the triplicate really stuck with me. I don't know <laughs> if you, if that was intentional or not. It wasn't intentional. It wasn't an intentional homage to Adams, but you're absolutely right that Adams does that a lot. And, and that probably informed my choices here. Um, I wanted to see how far I could take it in being so ridiculous um, with the alliteration here, the tremendous tremor transponder, Transmission you read tower. It so well, <laughs> I'm astounded. You were just flying through it, Pers- and you were getting the T's because these T T T T T P P P P. Like I wouldn't, I would have tripped up and added. Yeah, too many. Of I, those I wanted to there. see how far I could take it, and by the end, when I was done with it, um, I was like, "Oh, you know what? This I have T T T T T T P P P P P L L L L L." And then I was like, man, maybe I should have had it like slowly spell something, you know, or maybe it should have been T P T P T P T P L T P L L T P. You know what I mean? Like it could have been, but this is hard enough, you know? Um, no, I think it turned out well. It didn't need to spell anything. Honestly, I think our, our book at this point should have just fallen into <laughs> just this weird code <laughs> made of these, the rest of it. It's like, I wrote my section. It's just T P P P P L L L L. And we just keep on doing it. And we never have to end the story and nobody knows what's going on, but we get hailed as great, uh, um, new age thinkers. Yeah. Linguists. This is real art. <laughs> Yeah, it was fun. It was a fun thing to, that was a, just a fun thing to throw at it. And we do get a sense that, you know, I wanted to explain who these pursuers were. You know, you introduce something called a pursuer and I wanted to say, well, what, what the heck is a pursuer? What does that even mean? So yeah, through, this kind of, too. through this kind of fun means, I tried to explain what it was, that pursuers' jobs are to keep an eye out, are to pursue situations where there was some odd usage of the... Um, uh, titanium levitation, something that and was maybe off the, off the grid or not, not sanctioned. And they're kind of sent there to investigate and stop it. From and he's happening. in, he, but he's in charge and he's investigating his own thing. Right. It turns out because you made yeah. it, you made it now. I, and when I wrote this, I didn't assume that he was the pursuer, that the ambassador was the pursuer, but you made that happen. So it, it's a little difficult. <laughs> he's, it's it's kind of hard to connect those two. I had introduced also this idea that, that he was, that, that, 
this this pursuer was the pursuer of pursuers, that he was the greatest pursuer. And that's why he said, you know, because the, the other pursuers were on strike, he had to step up his game. He had to step out from behind the narrative arc. We've been talking about narratives. So I thought it'd be funny mm-hmm. if there was a, a an actual arc like you would have in um, the story of Noah. It was a true arc, and um, they step out from behind it. So, so that was that one. That was interesting. But you didn't really run with the uh, the narrative arc thing, um, no. which is fine. <laughs> which is fine. I mean, well, we, we, you we it was it. very it was very confusing. You you set that one up with um, with the uh, chicken talking, and and I was like, oh, I have no idea what to do with that. So I continued after the chicken talked. Yeah, that's not even really iterated because at the bottom it does say and the chicken talked again, spoke again. Yeah, because I didn't want to. I didn't. I didn't quite in the beginning know what she was going to say until I got a little bit below of what I was writing and thought, okay, now I can have her talk. But I'll say she talked again, and all she said was squawk, essentially. Yeah, she's not a very good communicator. Yeah, and supposedly she was, um, but it says she's more intelligent than the current ambassador, who is is him. He is the current (laughs) ambassador. Yeah, that's really unfortunate. Well, we don't know. Maybe maybe we don't know uh, what's behind that, what meaning is behind that. And for all we know, that could be just like the TTTP. The squawk could stand for something. That gets us to the next one. You have to understand. You essentially, you essentially establish here that titanium levitation is what's making them be able to to, to read each other's thoughts. Yeah, I wanted. So that's kind of. I wanted to explain that because it's been going mm-hmm. on for a little bit of time. Yeah, and I know I didn't have to, but it was confusing me. So for me, I needed to explain it for myself. Um, yeah, and I think that's always a good point when it comes to writing. If you are confused. Uh, you should probably clear that up as soon as possible. Unless it's a mystery, then I guess maybe not as soon as possible. Because if you are writing a mystery <laughs> book in the first page, you're like, well, I'm kind of, I kind of want to solve this already. And you do solve it on the first page. In the next 300 pages, I don't know what your character is going to do. Be a new form of mystery. Yeah, you, you know, interesting, speaking of mystery, um, in the last podcast we did, I put together our show notes and we had talked about serialization and I remembered that, of course, one of the top serializer of serializers of his time was um, Charles Dickens. And I remember hearing stories of people, you know, waiting on the shores of New York City for the boat to come in that would have the next installment from England with his story on it. And they just couldn't wait for it to arrive. And they, you know, they ravenously read through it. And one of the things that I found as I was researching that to provide a link for the show notes was that his last book was a mystery, like a murder mystery. And, um, he died before he finished it. So no one knows who murdered the character. Wow. It's just unsolved. Well, you know, maybe maybe you could say it's one of the greatest unsolved mysteries in literature. Wow. Well, then maybe he, uh, he should have followed what we just said then. (laughs) (laughs) Tell us who did it at the beginning of the book. Or he could have had some freaking notes, right? Like yeah. you would have thought he would have wrote written it on some notepad. Well, maybe he somewhere. didn't know. Or maybe yeah, he maybe was he, he was like, you know what? I'm gonna die today and I'm not gonna finish this story. And it's gonna drive everyone crazy. I wonder if anyone, you know, any writers have tried to finish it. I'm sure they have. There are people who yeah. always try and finish things. There's a Six Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy book that somebody wrote that I never read. And and had had you no, know, that's by Douglas Adams, mm-hmm. who we were speaking yep. of earlier. And then somebody did, wrote uh, Woodhouse stories of uh, Bertie Wooster. I've seen one at the bookstore. Um, oh, interesting. So there's a lot of people finishing things. And then Michael Crichton's book Micro was finished a few years after he died. So um, one thing I really liked about this section that you wrote here was that the Selena Veronica West actually takes control of titanium levitation. And lifts them all up, ambassador included, and then they're being flung down the, you know, down the uh, the forest. I love that idea. That that now even the even the ambassador is feeling what it's like. You know, um, I, I used the we've been using like falling or being flung in the air as a way to change direction of the story. Literally change direction mm-hmm. of story or move them from place to place. And I yep. think that is considered. Is that would you consider that a trapdoor? In literature, you know, you have people fall down uh, to a different location because either you get tired of that location or you want to move the plot along. 
but titanium levitation is great because you can literally move the plot along <laughs> by flinging our characters extreme distances. Yeah. They need to get the hell out of that forest. Fling them right right out of it. Well, it's kind of a, it reminds me of uh, the old show Quantum Leap, which I've been trying to rewatch, um, where he's just like leaping from life to life. And uh, sometimes it'll happen in the middle of the story. Sometimes it'll happen at the end. But it's just like, well, we're in a new place. We got to figure it out. So uh, the next one, what I wrote here, I returned us to Kelvin. I wanted us to, there there were two things that I felt um, as we were writing this latest batch um, that were confusing and that were made it difficult to write. And that was A, the fact that we kept bouncing back and forth from narrator to narrator. And it was unclear maybe until you read to the end exactly who the heck had been talking. Um, that was one thing that I thought made it confusing and I wanted to be clear about at the start of this one. And I was, I was obviously guilty of it as well. Cause I didn't establish that it was, he was the narrator in that, that one I had written before, but in this one, the one I'm talking about here, which is called past noon, March 24th. Um, I wanted to establish at the start who Calvin was and who the narrator was. And that's Calvin again and get us back into Kelvin being our eyes and ears. And then the other thing I wanted to do in the last piece I did that I wanted to solve was that we had so many characters now that it made conversation very clunky. And it was really difficult. Like if this was a a play or a movie, it wouldn't be so hard because the audience could see exactly who was speaking and they could hear the voices. But as you're reading... The, the way that this was written in the traditional style of prose, it kind of, you, you always begin what someone says with a quote, essentially, not with their name as you would in a script. And so you have to read their entire quote before you find out who the hell it is that's saying it. And so in your mind, you're constantly revising exactly what the voice is and the person and the meaning of the of the words. And that gets so difficult when you have such a group of people around you know standing around or being flung around or whatever so i really wanted to cut that down to just get you know two people in a room talking because that that is so much clearer and crisper and you can really follow the story a little a little better how do you how do you feel about that no i completely agree with you and we weren't moving anywhere you know we Mm -hmm. had a little things changing but the the they actually it was just it was hard to move the narrative as best as you could, mm-hmm. which is one of the other reasons why I flung them out of that place because it, I felt very, um, you know, kind of like how you feel sometimes in a forest. It's damp, it's muggy, and there's not much move, nowhere to move because you might trip over something. <laughs> and I felt yeah, like... Yeah, there's it, not much going on. Yeah, exactly. So I thought we needed to get them out of there, but I completely agree. I was so relieved when we switched back to Kelvin, this is just easier. Mm-hmm. And I agree. Yeah. It's, it's annoying to have to readjust who's talking. There's nothing, nothing worse than when you're reading something and you're like, Oh wait, Oh, I thought this was this person. You have to go back. It's very confusing. So I agree. Yeah. I think I, tr- we tried the best we could to make it as not confusing as possible, but we still ended up even confusing ourselves. <laughs> yeah. We could have, we could have tried harder yeah. probably, but we're getting there. And so, and so here we are. So I returned us to, to, to him I, and I and I I'm still trying to fill in their backgrounds a little. So I gave him a full name, Kelvin FCL. Now you know what that stands for, right? No. I I wanted to make him Kelvin Fahrenheit Celsius. I don't remember what the L stands for. Um, but I wanted I wanted to continue with the uh, Kelvin Fahrenheit temperature. Celsius. Well, L is probably something math, um, something in relation to science, right? I would hope. Um, I'm <laughs> So I made him I made him the secret attaché to Linsalum. So we actually have, we know who he is a little bit for the first time. And then I gave Macy a last name, Macy M. Masterson, master at arms of all of Mapleton. So playing with the um, alliteration there with the M's. Um, and you had, remember, introduced Mapleton earlier. You remember where that was? Mm. Oh, yes. Uh, I don't remember where I mentioned it, but I just remember mentioning Mapleton because it sounded funny. It was the... Um, <laughs> That's why I meant the, uh, I'll, I'll, Hold on. I'm going to find it here because yeah, it's it. so funny. It's so funny. Oh, the ants. Yeah, exactly. The Disguisius ant... <laughs> I can't even say it. The Disguisius antidextrous, the elusive ant of Mapleton. <laughs> More commonly known as the actor ant. Yeah, exactly. 
So, so that's where Macy's from. So they're kind of from, I mean, I guess he could be from that place as well. He could be from, uh, from Mabel. There's a secret, secret attache to Linsulum. So Linsulum, I think is where they are. That's where the ambassador is. That's my, did you make that up? The name? Yeah, I had, I had made that up uh, quite a few, like a few weeks ago. Do you know, I did a Google search of it. You should Google search it right now. Linsulum? Mm -hmm. Look it up. This never happens. Oh my God. This is crazy. Yeah. It will appear eventually wow. from our page, but it says your search, Linslam, did not match any documents. I don't think I've ever, wow. I don't think I've ever seen that before. <laughs> That's a record. That's amazing. But now see. That's amazing. Yeah. Mapleton. To create a word <laughs> that literally Google has no freaking clue what the heck it is. Yeah. Like it's not even saying, did you mean licorice? You know, it's like, no, I don't know what the oh, hell this is. Mapleton. There are a lot of searches. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, so so we have Linsulum here, and then we have um, uh, then we have Chevron doing the narrative. You and I, I do really like this add too much to Chevron, but I guess because we already knew he was a taste tester. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I do, I do like this. Um, <laughs> I like this line that that I have um, our our character Kelvin say when he's kind of getting frustrated with the ambassador and how titanium levitation doesn't work very well. And he says, um, too bad you magician those perfectly good boiled eggs into perfectly spoiled chicken ants. Like, it really sounds like a really mean, <laughs> something about those, those little words together, like perfectly spoiled chicken ants. Like, it sounds horrible, Chicken it? ants. Yeah. It actually made me, made me laugh, that, that line. Yeah. And then we have the, the houses that hug the hill, which is my continuation. Yes. Uh, I liked your phrase about the, the houses hugging the hill, so I thought I'd add to that. And then uh, add more to the fact about hug and how gentle that sounded and how that was not what they experienced when they landed. Yeah, I, I really, I do, I do like that a lot. And, um, and I will say in your writing, there's, there's always little layers. And, I, and also in your conversation here, I think I'm listening to you. And then when I listen to the podcast again, I'm like, oh, you made a really funny point there. I didn't, I didn't get that at all uh, when I was originally listening. Um, or originally reading here, but I really, really liked your description of them falling uh, on, onto these houses because um, I, I think you could have been perfectly clear about it, um, but you're kind of, we're seeing it through the eyes of our character. And so he, he, you know, you say, I hit an old thatched roof that hit me back with almost equal force and I landed onto another roof and then I was in the air again and continued my slow and painful descent till there were no more roofs to bounce me. So the ground met me instead. The earth seemed to rise up and it took a swat at me. I tumbled and landed on my back. Um, that really feels, I stared up at the air, which was filled with my troop, who decided to land a little later than me. They landed on me. It, it just, it's very perfect. It really walks us through the different sensations and movements. And I really think you have a, have a skill for this. And we saw it earlier. Um, uh, when you were talking, what was it that you were talking about that I, oh, the magician, right, in his hand, and how his hands were moving, and that was exactly how how it would have happened, and I really think you have a sense of, of breaking down those movements, the way you might if you were writing a um, uh, a storyboard for a movie, right, you know, those storyboards where they, they take the action and they break it up into the different shots, Yeah. and I feel like you, you break this down into the different shots, there's the there's the hitting the roof, and then it hits you back with equal force. And now that's one movement, but it feels like two, right? Mm -hmm. Because we'll see it being hit, and then you'll feel it, you know? So there's kind of two things in there. And then he lands on another, and then he's in the air again. And then he continues to, you know, descend, like, woo! You know, he almost hear Very it. comical in um, a way. Yeah. yeah. And, then, well. and then the ground meets him, and the earth, like, rises up and takes a swat at him. And, and it takes... Now, now you I like, could say, I, I, I think the, the swat at me thing is I like how overdramatic he is. Like, even though it's this awful thing that's <laughs> happened to him, he's literally falling from the sky. He's making it so overly dramatic to him. Yeah. It's as if the earth rose out of the, <laughs> rose up and smacked him down. You right. Know? It's all personal. He takes it so personally. <laughs> it's all about him. And, um, but, but an important point to make here is, is the way you do this, because I think, um, 
a lot of people think of writing as making it efficient and clear and crisp and, um, you know, don't use too many words and say it in one way rather than two ways or whatever. But basically you could have ended this here with the sentence. So the ground met me instead. That could have been, that could have been in our minds, him hitting the ground. But you continue with the earth seemed to rise up and it took a swat at me. I tumbled and landed on my back. And finally now, you know, that's, that's two other sentences you add there. Um, I was torturing three the different bastard. <laughs> or no, no, you have, we have, we have four actions more beyond. So the ground met me instead. Mm-hmm. We have the earth seemed to rise up. That's one. We have, it took a swat at me. That's two. We have, I tumbled. That's three. And then it's landed on my back. That's four. We have four additional actions beyond your initial sentence that says, so the ground met me instead. Um, but all of that adds to the dramatic sense of it and the feeling of it. And I really feel like you hit, like what I'm seeing is he's hitting the ground and then he's tumbling and then he's landing on his back. Bam. Yep. Like he's kind of like falling back on his back and then he's staring up and, you know, we see the dust kind of clear, even though you don't say anything about dust, we can see it, mm-hmm. you know? So. Well, thank you. Yeah. I'm great. very, I'm very visual person. So when I write, I, I see it. And so mm-hmm. I want to hit all those points if I can. And I wanted to make it as overly dramatic as possible, but it's humorous. And I really took on to that. I really liked how you said the houses hug the hill. And so I really wanted to show the opposite of what a hug is, which is very, <laughs> which is exactly what they're experiencing, you know, as they fall, you know, it's so nice. Right. These houses, they're hugging the hill, how gentle. And then bam, smacks into it. I like the, mm-hmm. the, the, um, the irony there. So, um, yeah, so I wanted to add as much, as much emphasis to the, to the tumble as I possibly could and to, um, do a little, do play with, with, you know, he's following, but also to him, it's as if the earth is meeting him at the same time, change perspective. Right, exactly. And then I also really, I added also, um, I stood, realigned my spine for emphasis because it Mm -hmm. sounded really painful. (laughs) Yeah, it did. But, you know, essentially he's got to kind of shake it off and continue with the story. Yes, <laughs> and the, but at the end of this one, I didn't know exactly where you were going to take it. I was hope, hoping you didn't figure that I killed them because they're like, no, Chevron said, they only serve the dead. Yeah, the, the way that you said that they only serve the dead, it was only on my second or third reading that I realized you might have been picking up on something I already said in the previous one because what Kelvin says it in his own narration which I wrote, he gestured then at a, this is the ambassador, gestured then at a small crop of houses we swooped over, little boxy numbers hugging the hills for dear life, and there wasn't much life in them. Which lines up perfectly with you saying they only serve the dead, because there's not much life in them. Is that what you had meant? No, I must have picked up on that, but I didn't know I picked up on it. Oh, I did want to say, uh, we might as well say everything there is to say. Um, in this houses that hug the hill, in that paragraph where you're describing them falling, yeah, um, it, you kind of reverse it because initially I say that the ambassador, then Chevron, then Macy dropped out of the sky, then I, right? Mm-hmm. And you reversed it. He hits the ground first, and then those those three come in in the same order that they had started falling to begin with. Which makes me think the only way that could have happened is if his fall actually wasn't even as bad as theirs. They must have tumbled even more yeah. and been held up even longer before they hit the ground. See, I was figuring that they each probably landed. You know, I think I've seen this somewhere. They each landed on different roofs or were bouncing around mm-hmm. uh, and took a different trajectory. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> um, they get up before him, too. So they. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's so dramatic. Um and uh, and you're doing a good job here of picking up on the fact that he's he's concerned about breakfast. That's that's a real concern for him. He's been hungry for a while. <laughs> he needs and, food. Uh, <laughs> yeah, he's hungry. Uh, so so that was great. And then and then my my thing that I wrote last night. Now I haven't heard your thoughts on this. So tell me tell me what you think and how you interpret it. A little, I'm a little confused. I think hearing you read it was was a lot easier. So two of them walk into. Uh, the restaurant, and then it's misty. They're on a dock, and then below them is a is a dark river or lake. Yeah, did you get what that meant? No, because you said they only serve the dead. And then on the lunch specials, I have all this death related 
I saw that. You know, yeah. Notes. Wear corpse blue, get three for the price of two. Buy three, get life free. Buy four, dine on Styx's shore. And you remember the river Styx mm-hmm. is the river that takes people, that the uh, Grim Reaper takes them across no, to their death. That's what I was wondering is what Styx was. Yeah, that's what the river Styx is. What a really and unfortunate so it says, name of a river. That's the last river. Buy four, dine on Styx's shore. And of course, just like you, our character is oblivious to what that means. He just thinks he'd enjoy a shoreline view. And wouldn't that be delightful? <laughs> and so so they go inside. Macy and the ambassador, it looks like they understand it. They have a lifeless look. Um, and he's like, well, screw them. We're going to go eat. So they go inside, and they're greeted by a dark-haired gent in a gentle flowing costume, all shadows and folds. This is likely the Grim Reaper here. Yeah. <laughs> and, I love the way that's, and they uh, say, uh, that's written. <laughs> oh, thanks. And they say two for lunch, but we, and even though it's only two and the special is about buying four, um, we would like to, you know, get the shoreline view. And so, (laughs) and so they continue on and they're being led back and, and this, you know, the Grim Reaper, this guy who's serving them is not saying much of anything. Um, he's being very quiet, but our character thinks that that's just, you know, good service, you know, first class service that they're getting that he can communicate silently and be very smooth. And, and he even kind of picks up on it. You know, maybe there's something supernatural about this, but without the heebie-jeebie part, I'm not afraid. But meanwhile, Chevron is picking up on all these warning signs. He says, you know, it's really cold in here. It's like art and it's dark. <laughs> and, you know, maybe there, we should be concerned about this place. And, um, of course, our character is just saying, well, you know, I'm a little cold. Would you happen to have something to warm up with? And, um, and the the Grim Reaper character kind of like absolutely um, anticipates that they're going to be cold and hands them, you know, a robe, flowing robe like them. And uh, he's like, well, I'll throw this right on. This is perfect. And the moment they put it on, because when you put one of those on, you're kind of like climbing into it essentially, right? That's why I have, you know, Chevron heaved his way into the fabric and I did the same. And the moment they did, when they get out, they're suddenly walking across a dock that's leading them over this river. And there's all this dark mist. And um, and he, he takes that as a problem with the air conditioning and, <laughs> and says, hell of a time with the air. And uh, and he, he assumes that this guy is shrugging and that he's doing it because, you know, all employees are embarrassed when their employer decks the place in dilapidated appliances, <laughs> you know, air conditioners. Literally, <laughs> Which, literally do is, anything. To get food at this point. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He's totally misreading the situation. And he's saying, you know, it's not your fault. I know, you know. Um, and then, like, he's so misreading it that he has this little musing that he does on, um, on you know, gendered pronouns. And uh, <laughs> and Chevron says, you know, do you have anything less muggy, <laughs> you know, and, with all this mist? And um, and then the fog recedes and he says, wow, you know, this is this is really impressive stuff. If only Macy and the ambassador could see it. Um, and then he notice, notices all the dark water, and he thinks, oh, well, that's some briny pool. Oh, pepper and brine. Okay. Well, if there's pepper brine, then there's pepper, and that's kind of what we were looking for before. So he asks about pepper, and he's asking about it as they're getting onto the boat, this sea cab to get them to the dining on the other side of the river, literally to death, right? They're just kind of getting right on, and it's very comfortable. <laughs> and that's all he cares about. <laughs> And so, is there food um, on the other they, side? All the yeah, food and you so, can eat. And so they receive in return a journey that they don't think either are there them will ever forget. And it starts with appetizers. So, so that's that's what's going on in that that story. Yeah, that's really funny. It's a lot, a lot going on there. Yeah, it ended up being quite long. It wasn't too many paragraphs. Maybe a little over or one one limit, but we've been doing that. <laughs> oh, the last thing I want to say here. Um, is I did use the word uh, philosophic mm-hmm. in here. After the day we've had, nothing could be more philosophic. Do you know what that's from, Jimmy? No. Mary it's, Poppins? Uh, <laughs> no, it's it's from that uh, Jeeves and Wooster score, uh, musical oh, yes, score that I've been yeah. listening to this whole time, where, um, uh, what is it that he says exactly? I wonder if we could uh, we could clip it into this. Well, that was all very enjoyable, Jeeves. Most philosophic, sir. Ah, there it is. It's uh, Jeeves and Wooster say Tinkerty Tonk. That's the name of the track. It starts with uh, uh, Birdie Wooster saying, Well, that was all very enjoyable. Well, that was Jeeves. all very enjoyable, says, Jeeves. Most philosophic. Most philosophic, sir. sir. 
and uh, I just always love that word, philosophic, like uh, felicity. Um, um, and so I looked it up, and I was like, oh, look, it actually is a word. It's not one that he made up. So I thought I'd use it. Yeah, I liked it. I thought it fit very well, and it did ring. I was like, I know that from somewhere. Yeah, um, and the uh, the actual the actual uh, definition of philosophic, uh, relating to or promoting increased happiness. Oh, uh, mid nineteenth well, century nice. from Latin philosophicus from Felix or Felix, which means happy. Felix means it makes happy. You appreciate then. the name Felix more. Yeah. Hmm. No, I've never met a Felix who was happy about his name. <laughs> well, that's about it, I'd say. Well, no, no, actually, we can't quite go quite yet, Jamie. No, it's been... And that's because we we haven't talked about where this story might go next, and that's what we promise in our intro. Oh, where is it going to go next? Well, obviously, to the place of the undead, right? Potentially. It seems that way. Yeah. That or another restaurant where our main character will eventually get something to eat where it doesn't involve him downing a uh, a new piece of clothing and going across some ancient lake to the place of the dead. But who knows? Yeah. You know, there might be a restaurant on the other side. Yeah, exactly. Which which would be a lot of fun. I and and we we have two characters now, so hopefully they can start bouncing off each other and, and we'll kind of um yeah, it'll actually be easier to read and we'll be able to get some longer dialogue because I, I have been missing the kind of back and forth. It's been very narrative heavy. Yeah. And it kind of has to when you're, when you're keep identifying different characters. Too many characters. But, mm-hmm. I agree. We have to kill them. So. And we're working on it, <laughs> apparently. <laughs> well, they're well on their way. <laughs> that's for sure. All right. Well, I think, um, I think that's about it, I'd say. Would you? I would. Say what? Say it. It's over. Oh, I do agree. You can follow each day's paragraph at our mississdesigns.com slash paragraphing blog or on Twitter at graphingblog.com. In the show notes, you'll receive information on how to follow Jamie or myself. Exactly. And now if you'll excuse me. Yes. I have a paragraph to write. Right on. All right. You know, it's almost always you who has to write. I feel like it always ends up. I think I think two, you're right. I think